You're listening to Two Dudes, One Disc, where the most sought-after music journalists, the greatest minds in the history of... You really gonna make me read this sh- Just read it! Take on the most influential albums of all time. Here's your host, Michael Heideman, on Two Dudes, One Disc. Ooh, it's about that time. Welcome into a new episode of Two Dudes, One Disc. I am so, so happy to be taking on this album with my good friend from The Legal Face-Off, The Legal Wizard, The Master of Disaster, and the biggest Bruce Springsteen fan this side of the Mississippi, Mr. Rich Lenkoff. What's going on, Rich? Thanks for having me, Mike. I wrote this album when I was 35 years No, thank you, Mike, for having me. I- I take exception to that description because I think I'm the biggest Springsteen fan, East or West. <laughs> but we'll get into that. Okay. Yes. Okay. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited. You know, I, uh, you, um, for our listeners who are just listening right now on the podcast, they can't see that I'm actually sitting with the, the physical embodiment of Bruce Springsteen right now. You, you're in full regalia of... <laughs> this will be a from, younger Bruce Springsteen circa, you know, 1984 when Born in the USA came out. Yeah. Uh, this was the uh, muscular Bruce era. I'm, I'm not even close to the uh, shape that Bruce was in back then or even now. But yeah, I thought I'd take it up a notch and mm-hmm. bring the show to a different level by actually dressing <laughs> as the subject matter. So here I am. It's a little warm right now. You really did. Yeah. It's. I told you it was going to be a little toasty <laughs> and you came in with the ripped off sleeves. Flannel shirts. Sure. First time I've had hair since the actual Reagan era, probably. So, <laughs> you you know, this show was at a certain level, and now I feel like we're blasting through the Grand Canyon now, like a rocket there. ship right now. <laughs> well, that's perfect because, you know, might I just add, you might you look a little bit better than Bruce Springsteen did back on the cover of the album, um, when he's stringing that guitar and one of the most famous band. covers of all time. It truly is. He's playing in front of the uh, the American flag. This is called Born in the USA, which has a lot of folklore behind it, which we can dive into a little bit later. But let's talk about it. We are talking Bruce Springsteen, Born in the USA, recorded and released June 4th. And it was actually recorded January 1982 to March 1984, two years of this album, um, in the Power Station and the Hit Factory in New York. And Rich, now... Ever since we met, and we've known each other for a few years now, you've been a fan of Bruce Springsteen. You've always talked about him. You've been to his shows. I think that you actually like high-fived him a few times. I don't know. You went to a few of his kids' birthdays, I think. Uh, <laughs> what is it about Bruce Springsteen that you're so drawn to? You know, I've been a fan of Bruce's since I was a kid. My brother, my older brother, uh, would play his albums all the time in the house. This is back in the 70s, you know, Greetings from Asbury Park. Uh, the River, all albums before Born in the USA. So I was just literally like born into it. Mm-hmm. Besides that, just, you know, it's my style of rock and roll. I'm a, I'm a rock, you know, old school rock and roller. And just obviously his showmanship is incredible. If you've ever been to a show, I mean, it'll hook you right away. Everything. I mean, there's a million reasons why I love him. But um, yeah, I've been a fan since, uh, since forever. Yeah. He's, I mean, there's something about that. People who are fans either like him or or just hate him or are just so infatuated with him. There's not many people who are just on the fence with Bruce. Yeah, I think you're either all in or you you don't like him. I mean, I've been to a few shows, as you said. Mm -hmm. Um, 108, (laughs) but who's counting? (laughs) Which, you know, makes you laugh and makes you sound like a stalker, but... 
to your point, when you go to the concerts, mm-hmm. you meet people and you ask them how many shows, mm-hmm. and it's like a thing. You know, someone will say 300, 400. There's people I've met who have been to a thousand shows easily. Wow. I mean, uh, my co-host, Tina Martini on Legal Face Off, her husband, David Sussler, who's a lawyer who comes on the show a lot, he's been to a bunch of shows. But yeah, I'm at 108 and counting. Oh my gosh. There's still plenty of shows left. He's still alive and he's doing so much. (laughs) And it all kind of started from this album, one of his most popular albums. Uh, Let's go into song number... Well, actually, before we go jump into song number two, um, the song Born in the USA, a lot of folklore behind it. Now, you must know about how it's not really about being prideful, about being American. It's about um, the Vietnam War. Is that correct? Yeah, so... You know, at this point, I think everyone knows the folklore behind the misinterpretation of Born in the USA, arguably one of the most misinterpreted songs of all time. Mm -hmm. So the genesis of the album, he actually started writing the album when he wrote Nebraska, Mm -hmm. which came out in 82, um, which was a very stark album, acoustic. It was a solo album, his first first real solo album. Um, He started writing many songs for it, including the title track back when he was recording Nebraska. And he was given a script by a director called Paul Schrader, mm-hmm. a very well-known director, who sent him a script called Born in the USA. Um, and he also, at the same time, became uh, you know, aware of people coming back from Vietnam. He met a few people. He met Ron Kovic, who wrote Born on the Fourth of July. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. the song is, as you point out, about... People who come back, uh, veterans who come back from Vietnam and who can't adjust, can't find jobs. You know, the um, the the the, own, the owner in the song says, you know, if, I, if we're up to me, I'd hire you. So it's very much an anti a protest song about how America treated veterans of Vietnam. Yet it was interpreted as a, you know, fist raising flag, uh, very patriotic song. Mm-hmm. It also came out in the midst of the Reagan era. Reagan was running for re-election in 84. You know, this was a time of uh, a lot of patriotism. Reagan represented a certain type for a lot of people. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And Reagan, in fact, on the re-election trail said that, um, you know, he he used Born in the USA as a rallying cry. And then famously, Bruce said, I don't support Reagan. And he took it back. So very misinterpreted. Um, But I do think, and I just, uh, one more point is, I think, you know, Springsteen, to be fair, is responsible for the misinterpretation. I mean, he wrote a protest song, yet he put it against the American flag. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's a very fist-raising song. It's anthemic. So I think he's responsible a little bit for the misinterpretation. Yeah, it seems like he almost went back uh, a, a little bit, in my in my point of view, because he's, he's smiling. I mean, the the uh, the picture of the cover of the album is a picture of his ass with a with like a, a hat, a worker's man hat. I mean, you're not, I mean, that to me, the first time that I heard about it was, you know, on a compil- compilation album of like uh, just patriotic songs. So yeah. for years and years he was making money off of that, but then you go back and you see that the true artistry uh, of the song was uh, a little bit more than than what the uh, the book kind of read. Yeah, and really famous cover, um, you know, as you mentioned, Springsteen's ass. Uh, a lot <laughs> of people interpreted, yeah, the belt and the, and the hat, of course. A lot of people interpreted that as him taking a piss on the American flag. <laughs> Um, oh, yeah, I can see that. Yeah, which he, of course, denied. And Annie Leibovitz, very famous photographer, of course, Rolling Stone, took the picture. Mm-hmm. Um, he said that initially it was supposed to be him looking into the camera, 
but that he didn't look good and his ass looked better. So that was the genesis of the <laughs> Born in the USA cover. Maybe he should have, uh, speaking of covers, this next song, Cover Me. Let's take a listen. Now, the one thing that you, just as a novice Bruce Springsteen listener, that dude has a tight band, and he always has some of the greatest musicians that are ever uh, to grace the stage. I wanted to ask you, though, can you name all the members of the E Street Band? The original? Present or in 84 in, or in... Let's go 84 for this album. All right, album. so in 84... Now, this is, this is pretty impressive if you can do this, because this is... All right, so in 84, many... Steve Van Zandt had already left the band. Mm. Interestingly, he came back for the Glory Days video. He was not in the band for the recording of Born in the USA, and his departure was the subject of Bobby Jean. I digress. Okay. So, <laughs> you had Max Weinberg on drums. Uh-huh. Bruce Springsteen lead guitar. Mm-hmm. Clarence Clements, of course, on saxophone. Of course. You had um, Daddy Federici mm-hmm. on organ. You had Roy Bitten on piano. You had Gary W. Talent on guitar. <laughs> Middle and name and you had Niels Lofgren on guitar as well. Patty Skialfa came to the band after as a backup singer, even though she appears in the Glory Days video. I don't think she received a credit on the album. Wow, you're going off list with these names. On, you're man. so good. Who are we talking to here? That was an easy one. Literally, while we're talking to Bruce Springsteen, it's it's funny because I keep uh, I, uh, we keep talking about these albums and the deepness of it at all, and and I'm, I'm looking at you wearing a wig. Oh, is it getting it's a little off. too hot? It's getting a little hot. <laughs> I warned you. There's a countdown when we're in the in the podcasting suite that it gets too hot, like a sauna. <laughs> All right, so let's dive into the third song real quick. How did I do on the band quiz? That was amazing. Come on. I, you I got, met them all, by the way. You, it's, it's incredible because not only did you get 100%, you got like 120% because <laughs> yeah, you yeah. added more than... And there's some trivia I could throw out there, but I digress. But Cover Me, what do you think of Cover Me? For me, one of the weaker songs of the album, still a great song, okay. you know, straight rock song, written for Donna Summer, actually, and mm. uh, Bruce liked it and he kept it, but... You know, pretty good rock song for me. One of the weaker parts of the album, still, still. My, that's the thing about Springsteen. I mean, any other artist, if he wrote a cover me, that might be the best song they ever wrote. Yeah, Springsteen. Yeah. It's like maybe the you know three hundredth best song he wrote. Do you consider that the the I'm gonna go to the bathroom song in the concert if the place? No, cover me? there's a couple cover me. I'll still stick around for, but mm-hmm. you know, some of his more his slower ones, I'll I'll run to the bathroom. But I've been known to pee my pants <laughs> in, a, in a three and a half hour Springsteen concert. Is, is that why you wear the diaper? That's you right. Have, okay. That's why I wear. I'm, among other reasons. <laughs> All right, let's go to the next song real quick. Darlington County. Oh, yeah. Here's my jam right here. This is probably my favorite song on the album. Underrated. Great guitar entrance. You know what's really interesting? Great guitar entrance. And and, um, Weinberg often does that kind of echoey, heavy reverb drums, which is just kind of his sound. Yeah. He made that his own with like the, the splash of the do da do da. It's it's super clean, but at the same time, you know that it's a Max Weinberg song if that is kicking yeah. into it. And you know he experimented on this album for the first time with some of the '80s sounds that we heard. You know synthesizer, synthesizers, big drums. A lot of you know uh, hardcore Bruce fans didn't react well. Mm-hmm. But also in Born in the USA, one of the most famous drum solos ever. That mm-hmm. was impromptu. They only it took three. Uh, takes to record Born in the USA, the song, and towards the end, 
Max says that he pointed to Max, and Max did this drum solo that was sort of out of nowhere. So just went off script on that. But yeah, Max Weinberg has a very distinct sound. You know, that's interesting because a lot of those songs uh, famously come from improvisation. You yeah. think about, um, you know, the, the famous bass line from, uh, what's his name, Paul Simon's song, yep. uh, Call Me Al. Yeah. And you think about the fact that in famous folklore, Ozzy Osbourne wrote Paranoid in like 15 minutes when he was high and drunk. Yeah. I mean, it's just sometimes just inspiration comes to you. That's usually. rock and roll, man, as you know. That's why you got a great live song with Darlington County, one of my favorite songs live. And tells a real story. I mean, tells the story of, you know, a couple guys who are on the road and get arrested. And, you know, it's it's just a great storytelling song. Yeah, uh, really cool that you mentioned that because he actually explained in a few interviews that he was raised Catholic. A lot of people know that. And his Irish Catholic tra- traditional bra- upbringing uh, and the hymns that he would listen to often gave voice to some of the songs that he would write. So you can kind of tell that. It's a lot of narrative-based yes. songs and the way that he kind of interweaves his own kind of like I'm going to work hard I'm going to get what I get and I'm going to go to this small town and meet this girl it's all yeah. you know and it's you know the funny thing is as you mentioned he had the cap in his, uh, in his pocket and in the videos for this album he's working as a mechanic in the I'm on fire video mm-hmm. he's working as a, a construction worker in glory days yet as Bruce will, will say in concert he never held a job in his life <laughs> besides a rock and roll star he literally never earned a paycheck in his life so kind of funny that he portrays this working man yeah and talks about working in factories and never worked in a factory. And he'll in the in the that in the lying Bron- son of well, a in the bee. Broadway show he how tells a funny he? story about how he's lying about it all because he never you know he never worked in one of these places. But I think that certainly it, tells a great story. His only job was it a bus driver? Was he a bus driver one it was time? His dad. Oh, his dad was his a dad bus was driver. a bus driver, a prison oh, warden. Yeah. His dad held a bunch of different jobs. His mom was a legal secretary um, in Freehold. But and, yeah, he never held the job. And that his mom was actually the reason why you went into law, right? That's right. Springsteen's <laughs> mother is the uh, one who inspired me. I love it. I love hearing the folklore. So let's go to the next one. As you just mentioned, he, a lot of working songs. This next song, Working on the Highway. Yeah, the album really sort of hits its groove here, I think, in the next few songs. But yeah, a song about, again, someone who's holding a manual labor job working on the side of a highway. Also a song about pedophilia, really? One of the two songs about <laughs> two songs having sex with an underage girl? Wait, really? On this album alone? Yes. I mean, a later part of the song, you'll hear that he says, uh, the judge says, son, don't you know she was just a little girl? Mm-hmm. Kind of the equivalent of saying, yeah, she looked 18. Well, it's funny because... That's why he gets arrested. He, go, he Her brothers come and they take him in the black and white to the judge. The judge says, can't you see she's just a little girl? Uh-huh. She don't know nothing about this cruel, cruel world. Mm-hmm. That doesn't matter to Bruce. <laughs> As a lawyer, how you would defend against that, right? I would probably advocate against uh, <laughs> child you know, sexual relations. And then... It's funny. You know, well, go ahead. I'm on fire. He... Uh, there's also talk of having, you'll hear, and I'm on fire, more similar themes here. There's a, a little disturbing. It's a funny because I, I was going to say that this song reminds me most of like a 1950s Jerry Lewis song. For sure. Who's Rockabilly, famously, yeah. famously known for, for <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, that's true. Good point. <laughs> maybe, maybe just like, you know, embodied it. It was dedicated to Jerry Lee Lewis marrying a 12-year-old. <laughs> 
But you can't deny, like, the way that he does this, like, kind of rockabilly sound, it, it was, it's interesting because not a lot of bands at that time in the 80s made their songs so different. It's almost Beatles-esque. The way right. He was like, you know what, we should do one of those, like, old 1950s Gretsch guitar kind of songs. That's one of the signatures of Springsteen. I mean, right now he's got an album coming out called Western Stars. That's sort of a throwback to 70s country rock, like Glenn Campbell, Eagles, Linda Ronstadt. Mm -hmm. That's what he does. He mixes it up. That's why he's, you know, I think such a musical genius. He did the Seeger Sessions album that was a tribute to, you know, American folk. Oh, okay. Um, so he, yeah, he could go back and forth between between all sorts of styles. Man. Ask him Mike Heidemann. I mean, oh, right? <laughs> Yes, yes. I go from um, bad to worse <laughs> most of the times when I'm playing music. Uh, working on the highway. Okay, where's that part in the song? Is it coming yeah, up? Right, it's coming right. The prosecutor made that promise that he made on that day. Judge got mad, put him straight away. It was right before that where the judge says, don't you know she was just a little girl? She don't know nothing but this cruel, cruel world. <laughs> you know what the, the judge admonishing Bruce Springsteen for having sex with a <laughs> The magic of the podcast. Yeah, so here, her brothers come and take him away in the black and white. <laughs> none, of, none of this song is uh, is is making any You're sense. You're singing to me. from a whole new. Might have missed it again. Yeah, it was before that. <laughs> well, the bottom line is he got put straight away for doing those evil yes. deeds. <laughs> One of many songs where Springsteen, as the protagonist of the song. Mm -hmm is a criminal defendant. So very relevant to Legal Face-Off. But yeah, there's a lot of songs where he's in front of a judge mm -hmm. and he's, get, he's getting put, on, put away, put on a chain gang. Common theme through Springsteen albums. You, know, you can tell, uh, it's funny because you can kind of see where these artists find their influence. I'm coming up, I'm sure in the 1960s and 70s, uh, a lot of Johnny Cash, a lot of the old school Roy Orbison songs are about, you know, breaking the law and trying to get away with exactly it. Exactly true. I was going to say that. I mean, I'm on Fire is almost written for was actually written for Johnny Cash. It's a straight Johnny Cash song. And yeah, I mean, in the you know vein of Johnny Cash singing for convicts and prisoners, mm -hmm. I think that very much inspired Springsteen. Man. All right. Well, let's take a next look at our next song, Downbound Train. Maybe my second favorite jam on this album. Very underrated song. Incredible. Again, telling a story of someone who goes from bad to worse. Had a job. Had a, job, had a girl. Had something going in this world, and then it suddenly goes south. <laughs> so he got laid off, right? Mm -hmm. Which is a common theme in Springsteen songs, right? Mm -hmm. Layoffs, plans closing. So times got hard. Now he works in a car wash, where all it ever does is rain. Great lyric. So you see, you know the theme, and you know Springsteen's a big fan of the Grapes of Wrath. Wrote the, the Ghost of Tom Joad. Mm -hmm. um, very much influenced by the Great Depression. He was born in, what, 1939, I believe. So, you know, not that far removed from the Depression. Um, or oh, 49. actually, 40, oh, 49. 49. First mistake, I'm uh -oh. counting these. I'm spinning the checkbook. Well, you down. see the theme, and, you know, uh, 3M was a textile plant in Freehold where he grew up, and they closed the plant when he was young and moved out of town. Mm -hmm. That had a huge ripple effect on his town. A lot of his family members got laid off. You see the theme of, you know, layoffs, and, you know, big business versus the common person. That, very interesting because you don't really expect that you 
for it to soak in as much you know it separates him as an artist as opposed to just the regular person who's going through it like he was able to put these kind of pain right. into words which yep. is which is very very interesting and very it speaks to how great and sustainable an artist he is oh yeah and you know it just captures a moment in time uh, the theme is later found in the last track in the album my hometown mm-hmm. Where he talks about driving through his hometown, and mm-hmm. you know, sh- shops are boarded up, and just the effect of the economy. And you know, again, this is the Reagan era where there was really two Americas. I mean, mm-hmm. Reagan was talking about this shining city on a hill, yet there were so many people in the underclass who weren't benefiting from the Reagan era. So Springsteen was very much in tune to that. Uh, and also, he it seems like he writes a lot of timeless songs too. Like uh, even though he's talking about. Going on a downtown or downbound train, and and you know these factories closing, and you don't see like a lot of that in the world today in 2000, whatever year you're listening to this. Um, but he's able to write these timeless songs. There's not a lot of songs that he refers to cell phones or the internet or totally email. true. It's really a good point. And and one of my favorite songs I mentioned, the Ghost of Tom Joad. The title track to that album is written about Tom Joad, who's a Depression-era character, right? Who's <laughs> out of work, and but literally, if you listen to the the, the lyrics today. It's about things that are relevant today. People sleeping in the streets. You know, Tom Morello from Rage Against the Machine yeah, played yeah. with the band. That's his favorite song to play live. Um, and it's like the lyrics today are as relevant as they were when he wrote them and about the subject matter, which is back in the Depression. So Jeez. exactly true. Incredible. All right, Downbound Train. Let's take a look at our next song right here on the album. You've been mentioning it before, and here it is. I'm on fire. Very, very short song. Clocks in at 229. <laughs> yeah. He must have been really tired after the downbound train and, and you know, breaking the law, dating his sister. Yeah, well, this continues the theme. <laughs> like I mentioned, yeah, dating <laughs> his young sister. Wait, that's on the B-side. That's, oh, that's a B-side. That's the, you didn't, you didn't that's hear that B-side one? incest it's a, it's a yeah, rare, theme. He wrote, a, he wrote a not-released incest album that we'll get into on the next it's two funny. dudes. It's funny because we have people who write in this show sometimes, in there, and we had one episode where we just like ripped into U2. It yeah. was, uh, I think we did uh, The Joshua Tree, and like their fans were so ravenous. And I think that, you know, from a small podcast, that we put out the, the, the album review and got like 100 emails. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So I feel like this is going to be well, one of those things. Too. <laughs> no, you can't. Bono has an army. Well, this is about basically a stalker. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't say. Yeah. This is a running theme. Yeah, and the video is pretty interesting because it was the first time he acted in a video. Three videos on this album were directed by John Sayles, who directed Eight Men Out, really big independent filmmaker of wow. the 80s and 90s. Um, yeah, Bruce had great relationships with, with directors. Um, Brian De Palma, coming off Scarface, yeah. my favorite movie of all time, directed the Dancing in the Dark video a year le- a year no, after that. No way. And really? later, Jonathan Demme, of course, directed um, some of Bruce's videos and the Streets of Philadelphia video. So there's a theme, a bigger theme with Bruce. He's very um, cinematic in mm-hmm. the way he writes, you know, and he's very inspired by movies. Thunder Road was inspired by a movie title, Badlands, mm-hmm. Born in the USA, as I mentioned. So there's this big relationship throughout Springsteen between his music and movies. He's very, again, cinematic in the way he writes, I think. Interesting. But I'm on fire. The video is about a woman who drops her car off. Bruce is a mechanic. First time he acted in a video. And she expressly tells him to, he says, I could drop the car off if you want. Mm-hmm. And she expressly tells him, no, that's okay, because she lives way out on the hills. Mm-hmm. Despite that, Bruce goes and drives through L.A. and drops her car off, stalking her. 
and uh, then some, somehow walks home. Like he leaves the car there wow. and meanders through the streets of L.A., I guess, to get home. But yeah, one huh. the first video where Bruce actually acted. You know, it's it's. And by cool. the way, a very disturbing lyric, and I'm on fire. Another disturbing lyric. Yes. Uh, at night, I wake up with the sheets soaking wet. But does that refer to his his uh, I'm not sure what's going on there. bed he's, wedding problem? Well, he's thinking of this woman that he's obsessed oh. with. <laughs> not a great image to be thinking. No, of. you know, we where was he? Do you have any insight into where he was in his life when he was putting the, together this album? Or yeah, he was uh, he was single. So Bruce mm-hmm. famously. Never drank, never smoked, you know, literally never smoked anything in his life, never did drugs. Really? Lived with a woman for about a year in the early 80s during the River album and was pretty much a loner. I mean, he said, I didn't really, you know, I was working on my career. I didn't really want commitments um, and, you know, was pretty much a loner. It was him, the music and the band. And then he started to get really famous. This album ended up selling 30 million records. Jeez. And he was the biggest star, you know, in the world overnight. So with that fame, of course, came more notoriety. He was on the cover of People. Started dating an actress named mm-hmm. Julianne Phillips, who later was on um, the show Sisters. And a lot of Bruce fans thought that he was selling out. He was finally moving to L.A., marrying the or dating the starlet, ended up marrying her. She plays, uh, she's in the Glory Days video at the end in a cameo. Um, but he was sort of going through this transition from being a, you know, well-known artist who was selling out arenas to a global superstar. Wow. And then started dating this Hollywood starlet. Oh, my. So, I mean, things were looking up for this guy. Things were looking up. And I think it's reflected <laughs> in the music. But interestingly, he broke up with her. He was only married for two years, ended mm-hmm. up dating and then marrying Patti Schialfa, in the, you know, who's in the band. And in the follow-up album, um, Tunnel of Love, that album is very much about breaking up and relationships failing. And I think what he was going through in his personal life is directly seen in the follow-up album. Man, what a life this guy lives. And you're talking about how he was just going from a guy who was selling out these these stages and stuff. And by the way, I'd love to dive into the fact that he, um, well, I'll put this on pause for a second. He, he the, this album has so many singles that it's almost uncanny for an artist to see this seven singles that he released from born in the USA. That's, that's over half the album. Yeah. From a guy who wasn't known for writing hit singles. I think his only, his top, his only top 20 single before that was hungry heart. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my, one of my favorite songs of all time. That's, I mean, the, the horn section to the beat. Yeah. Amazing story. song. Another song, that is an example of Springsteen singing about a rough subject. Mm-hmm. In that case, a guy literally leaving his family. He says, you know, I, I went out one day for milk and I never went back, literally. Yeah. But yet it's a anthemic song where you chant along, you sing Hungry Heart. It's about a guy leaving his family, literally, like yeah. overnight. He says, I'm going out and he never comes back. So people, you know, huh. that theme is seen in a lot of songs, including Born in the USA. But to your point, yeah, this album generated a lot of hit singles to a guy who was not really used to that. He, he, he said in interviews that, you know, yeah, the money was great. Uh, it was something he had never had before. And uh, all these hit singles were, were impressive. By the way, in an era of amazing music. I mean, yeah. for me, 1984 was one of the best years. I was 14 years old, mm-hmm. kid in Canada, and just obsessed with this album, but also Van Halen's 1984. Mm-hmm. Thriller came out oh, that time. My, you're right. Prince, Purple Rain, mm-hmm. um, just a million. Ah, police synchronicity. I mean, wow. this was the era, you know, where you would actually 
buy an album, wait for it to come out, put it on the turntable, mm-hmm. and just play it. Yeah. And play every song. And you got to know every song. You know, nowadays you don't have that as much, but you got to know every song on the album. It's I, amazing. Uh, that it's, it does sound like amazing, uh, an amazing time for music and everything. And I forgot about the fact that Van Halen and uh, you had such a wealth of music and it was all seemingly rock based yeah. where people actually play their instruments I mean besides the Michael Jackson's a little bit but at least Michael Jackson had Toto as a backup band and you know had like real musicians who were who were fronting his music it was it was a gritty cool time for music it was exciting it was exciting for someone who who, who liked music and who again it was a very album oriented time mm-hmm. and a lot of it was during the summer I remember Purple Rain coming out in the theaters and it was just a phenomenon I mean it was something yeah. you had never I mean Prince you know was fairly well known for Little Red Corvette 1999 mm-hmm. but it was a different level when Purple Rain came out. And, you know, Bruce, and they were very big figures too, right? I mean, Bruce is like, you know, in this album, he's like Rambo. It's yeah. like a, he's like a superhero. Prince was a very theatrical guy. Michael Jackson, this was the time of Boy George, Cindy Lauper, Madonna, very theatrical, big personalities. You're, yeah, oh, you're kind of right. Hair metal, uh, the like Led, Led Zeppelin, I'm Led Zeppelin. They were, they were pretty much done by then. But Yeah, <laughs> hair metal. And, Van Halen and all those guys kiss. Incredible, yeah. Um, do you remember the first album that you bought as a young lad in Canada? Of course. I'd like to say it was a Springsteen album, but it happened to be Thriller. I mean, me and, you know, what, 75 million other people. Yep. But I bought it. Uh, it was the first cassette I ever bought. Mm-hmm. I bought it in Plattsburgh, New York. So I was living in Montreal. We had record stores, of course, mm-hmm. but we were in uh, the next town, which was Plattsburgh, New York. We would all drive there to get American products that we didn't have in Canada. Uh, Things you like rascals. Doritos. Yeah. And you didn't Slim have Doritos? Gyms. We did not have these. <laughs> these I are remember, rare delicacies oh my God, for a Canadian Gyms. young Burger rich King. We didn't have a Burger King. <laughs> so yeah, I went to the store and I bought uh, the, the Thriller cassette and you know, play the hell of it. But that was the first one. Okay. That's what was pre- your first record? It's pretty awesome. Uh, mine isn't... Uh, or, or, or CD. Okay. For my first one, uh, I've told this before, but it was... Uh, I worked very hard. I needed to, to mow like six or seven lawns, I remember, to get uh, 11 bucks to buy this cassette at, at Kmart, which was Weezer's The Blue Album. And I bought... Because at my time, that was... Actually, it was like it was 1994 when I bought that album. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, so um, I, I remember buying that, and I remember how hard I had to work for it. Then I would just, like you said, spin it over and over again. And now I look back on it, and it's not unlistenable because I remember that I would time the skips, like in Surf Wax America. Yeah. I'd be like, all right, so this song is going to skip through. I need to skip into Buddy Holly, but it's going to end with like scratching. And it's that's what you had to do when you were listening to music because you didn't have a way to skip around, and not not a lot of people can enjoy albums anymore. That's why I love doing this podcast, because yeah. I can look through so- every single song. That's the best. Um, let's get to the next song, though, No Surrender. Great Max opener there. Mm-hmm. Max, one of the weirdest things that he does is he plays like a jazz drummer. He plays with the side sticks, I guess yeah. you could say, instead of like the normal like rock with just bouncing off from his, uh, yeah. his fingertips. Found him in an ad in the Village Voice, put out an ad for a drummer. He wasn't the original drummer. Um, really? Who was the original drummer? They fired the original drummer. Yeah, he passed. Uh, <laughs> you just no, can't it was, catch um, a break, that guy. It was um, uh, Mad Dog was his name. Mm. But here's my favorite line of the album. We learn more from a three-minute record than we ever learned in school. That right there signifies so much about, you know, your teenage years mm-hmm. and what music means and just the spirit of rebellion that is all over the song. Wow. You know, it's, it shows that this album would take two years to record because a lot of his heart went into this album. And it's interesting to think that he had 
He's been putting out albums pretty consistently since 1982. That's a long-ass time to be writing music. continues to do it. Really, Again, the new album, Western Stars, is out uh, in the next couple weeks. Western Stars. Um, we were talking about singles from the Born in the USA album, Seven. We uh, Let's go over down the list real quick. Dancing in the Dark, Cover Me, Born in the USA, I'm on Fire, Glory Days, I'm Going Down, and My Hometown, the last of which was released on November 21st, 1985. So this was a long effing drawn out album for him long tour i think the first single i think the album was released in june you said right yes so the first single came out in may if i recall because i remember literally where i was and then yeah i mean he went on a huge tour you know first time he was playing stadiums Mm -hmm. you know the river he had done well with arenas but this is the first time he had sold out stadiums it was the first time he really was blowing out europe i mean bruce is believe it or not bruce is bigger in europe than he is here He's pretty I mean, damn he, big here. Right. So he would play to soccer stadiums for 75, 100,000 people. It was mm-hmm. not uncommon. This is where it all started, this this album. So what, By the way, this song, not to be confused with the uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme movie of the same title, <laughs> no, no Retreat, No Surrender, <laughs> the first movie from the Muscles from Brussels. Really? That's the first uh, Van Damme movie. Stole the uh, title from Bruce. No Retreat, No Surrender. That son of a B. Yeah. Is that the one where he's the uh, the arm wrestling competition champion? I don't remember that one. I, <laughs> it's not Double Trouble, which is where he plays a, plays his own twin. <laughs> or the uh, underrated actor. Oh my God, Muscles from Brussels. We could do a separate pod on that. We might have to. After yeah. This. You know, yeah. But can you wear the same shirt? Though? I will. Well, I'll, I'll wear my Bloodsport shirt. <laughs> so, the only rule of Bloodsport is there's no rules. <laughs> no surrender. Yeah. Okay, now this is this is awesome. You so said, this is one of Bruce's favorite to songs to play live. Okay, if you look at you know, there's a list somewhere of all of the most played songs. Mm-hmm. This has got to be in the top five because he loves the song. Does he have a certain song that he plays? Because you've been to uh, 108 shows. 108. 108. So who's counting? Is is there a certain song that he always needs to close with or always open with? I mean, obviously, play? you know, Born Born to Run is what everyone wants to hear. Mm-hmm. So he's mm-hmm. done that probably every show. Thunder Road's a big one. Thunder Road's my favorite Springsteen song of all time. So he plays that almost every time, mostly because for me, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. Probably. He probably but, does. He has. Uh, he has. He ever made contact with you in the, in the crowd and said, "What's up, Rich?" Or like, "I I know that face." He has not. Um, but you there's a buddy that. of mine, Johnny Nolan. Shout out to Johnny because I know he'll be listening. Mm-hmm. Who's been to more shows than I have, and who's been up on stage with Springsteen. He has Bruce Springsteen's name tattooed on his left forearm, and he does <laughs> no know way. Bruce will call him out, and and he's pulled him up on stage. So Johnny's my hero. Um, but you know what? You know you know my. When, when are we going to talk about the person in my family who has made contact with Bruce, which is my daughter? Yes, you know this story, right? I well, I'll I remind think you. I know story. this story. I love this story, but I think our listeners want to hear a little bit about it. So really quickly, in nine, well, uh, let's see, what are we? The twenty nineteen, in twenty twelve, Springsteen came through uh, Chicago to play two shows at Wrigley, mm-hmm. and uh, we went to this. I went to both shows. Um, I actually uh, did some work with Steve Van Zandt in the band, so we had a great weekend with him. It was incredible. So the second night, Springsteen is playing at Wrigley, and uh, I take my daughter to her first show ever, her first concert, and uh, he always does this thing where he brings up a kid for uh, Waiting on a Sunny Day, Mm -hmm. um, and he lets the kid sing some of the song. I told her he's going to pull you up. You better be ready. We had a sign. Of course, not thinking in a million years it would happen because he randomly picks any kid. <laughs> we end up being in the front row of the whole uh, of Wrigley. Mm-hmm. And, of course, Bruce walks down, 
pulls her up on stage. No way. She sings. She kills it. I've got it on video. Google uh, or go to YouTube and write in Springsteen Emma Wrigley and you'll see the video. Okay. And pretty good first concert for Emma Lenkov. Oh, first concert too. First concert ever. Now she but that, on Bruce's shoulders. Doesn't that set the bar kind of high? That every single time she goes, to see it's the all show, downhill like, from there. Ariana Grande didn't bring yeah. me up on the stage. Dad. One Direction didn't Let's really go. compare to that. <laughs> That's insane. Pretty cool. So then, when uh, when you were seeing that, like, what was going through your mind, your heart? Couldn't believe like, it. I watch it now. I've seen it a few thousand times. I still mm-hmm. can't believe it when I watch it now, because uh, a. She did so well because mm-hmm. a lot of the kids, I mean, understandably, you're singing, you're, you know, seven-year-old singing in front of 50,000 people. It's easy to choke. Yeah. So many of them don't do it as good. She killed it. I mean, she knew the lyrics. She said, you know, come on, E Street Band. So watch the video. It's pretty cool. Oh, my God. That's that's crazy. Yeah, it's amazing. What was Good the fr- story she was able, uh, able to tell at her at her wedding. Did you cry? Did not cry, but I, uh, I, I was trying to hold the phone so steady. Okay. So that... <laughs> The, the video you see is from my phone. What was the first question you asked when she got off the stage? Were you like, what was he like? I said, what did he smell like? What did he smell like? Was, was <laughs> it just leather a, and what's cognac? What two and a half hour Bruce smell like? <laughs> it was raining too, which I added to the whole thing. But it was incredible. I had people texting me in the show Holy who didn't know that she was there. That's crazy. Like, That's Emma on stage. It was oh crazy. My. See, the, I love that story because you have a connection with them. And I think that... I think you got probably more pleasure of her seeing her up on stage oh than it would God. be if he would have pulled it, you up. It was incredible. And, you know, it, it was a crazy weekend. That day, I, I mentioned I, I've done some work with Steve Van Zandt. Mm-hmm. So I had a meeting with Steve Van Zandt in the hotel they were all staying at, at the Ritz downtown. Mm-hmm. So I walk into the lobby, and I'm trying to act cool and not like a fanboy, right? But I walk into the lobby, and, and the whole band is in the lobby, in the, in the bar, just hanging out, right? Wow. Not Bruce. So I walk in, and there's like... Roy Bitten sitting here, Max Wine, they're all there. And I'm like trying to act cool because I have a meeting with Steve Van Zandt. Yeah. But in my mind, I'm like, oh my God, how is this happening? Here's everyone. And then we had a meeting. It was great. And then I, I left. And as I'm leaving, a woman came up and said, I, I was just in the swimming pool with Bruce. <laughs> what? I was just in the pool, just me and Bruce in the pool. It was insane. Wow. It was quite a weekend. Did the judge need to bring him into the court case and talk about the uh, Son, the don't situation? you see that she's just a little girl? <laughs> um, so what did you say? Did you say anything to the guys? Oh, I or talked to them cool? for a little bit. Um, and then I ended up knowing some of them because some of the work I did with, with, with Steve. But that was the first time, and it was just incredible. It was pretty cool. Jeez. So w- when you met Steve Van Zandt, this is probably the, one of the last. I have about 100 more questions to yeah. ask about it. Did he wear the bandana when you were in the meeting? He always wears the bandana. Always. He will tell you that he's never... The last time he's been seen without the bandana in public is probably in the 70s. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Bandana's his thing. Now, does he wear... A lot wear of speculation about why. Yeah. But the hair? It's... I. Well, the word on the... Well, I, I, yeah, I, I don't know for sure the answer, okay. but there's a lot of speculation as to why. Maybe like a weird birthmark or something? Don't know. Yeah. Mole? Yeah, it's a good look, though. I don't know. Gotta it, give it to him. He looks badass. It's a great rock and roll concerned. look. He's got like... He's the ultimate rock and roll gypsy. Oh, for sure. Honest. It's uh, the best. All right, let's he's go. got a great album out, too, by the way. A new album. He, he comes to Chicago all the time. I yeah. think he's coming uh, pretty soon, right? Yeah. Let's go. Uh, hey, I, I'd do be it. totally down. But first, let's listen to Bobby Jean. Written for Steve Van Zandt. This is written for Stephen Van Zandt. So, you know, Bobby Jean can be uh, interpreted as a female, but most people know that this song was written about Springsteen's relationship with Miami Steve. 
and Miami Steve's departure from the band right before Born in the USA. Mm-hmm. And this is his sort of love song to his best friend who, you know, guided him through his musical career. So, Oh, that's really sweet. Yeah. Not a song about a pedophile. <laughs> the one song that's not on the album. <laughs> the one outlier. I... I- I like that. I like that a lot. That he uh, he shouts out his friends. In fact, you know some of the greatest albums do shout out to their friends. You're thinking about, I mean, here's a here's a modern day um, one. Uh, Fall Out Boy wrote a song about their the guy who was their groupie in their band who sold merchandise and everything. Ended up being one of my favorite songs on the album. And a lot of other bands, you know, they give shout outs to the people who helped them get to where they were. I mean. <clears throat> You're thinking about Bruce Springsteen. He wasn't always famous. He he probably had to play a few open mics himself and get that gritty, you know, kind of a look. He he probably went on stage for the first few times with just like a dress shirt on or something. Then all of a sudden, you know, it's just like maybe uh maybe today I'm gonna wear like the peacock Elton John look, and then one day he's just like, you know, that's screw it. I'm just gonna go. Uh, how about like a worker? He probably went through all the village people and got to the construction yeah. worker and stopped. <laughs> Well, he tells a funny story about the look of this album and how the band was just a mess. I mean, they were dressed in all different, you know, 80s era clothes. It wasn't until the next album, Tunnel of Love, Mm -hmm. where they really started to take control of how they looked. And, you know, in Tunnel of Love and on that tour, they were dressed all in black and very tailored. And Bruce would be starting wearing vests Mm -hmm. and sometimes a suit and a tie. So, but yeah, this one of the most iconic looks of all time. He's, he's a badass-looking dude. Um, I have a question for you. The One of the coolest albums and almost the impetus of me buying my first leather jacket was the Born to Run album. With He has that great leather jacket, and he's yeah. it's kind of like the white undershirt, and he's getting pulled a little bit. Uh, anyways, he's, he's sitting back-to-back with uh, Clarence. Clarence, yeah. Um, when did the leather jacket come into play? Was that just... That was you know that was his look from the beginning, from his first album, um, Greetings from Asbury Park. He would wear the leather jacket and also a leather biker's cap frequently. Man. Again, not that different from the village people. <laughs> yeah, <I'm sorry. laughs> Maybe we're... There's there's a, yeah. We, hey, Bruce is going to go back and listen to this and be like, they found out my secret. Yeah, he's, he's got to do the... The Native American for the next album, maybe from Western Wait, Stars. Is, well, Western Stars <laughs> right? sounds Perfect. like it sounds like a fit, yeah. actually. Or maybe the cowboy. <laughs> I'm dying over here. All right, let's uh, move on to the next song real quick. Bobby Jean. I like the like the story behind it. We're getting near. We have the last four songs coming up here. This next song, I'm going down. Yeah, I love this song. A lot of Bruce fans sort of think of think of it as a throwaway song, but I think it's a good, straightforward rock song. Um, I would venture to say it's the record in any Bruce song of saying one word. He says the word down probably a hundred times in this song. <laughs> okay. I don't think he repeats any word as frequently as he does down in any of his songs. But yeah, good, good straightforward rock song. So what is the one song at his shows where people are just, besides Born to Run, besides Glory Days, um, that people are just on their feet? Like one that we wouldn't think of yeah, as well, just novice listeners. Badlands is probably, I mean, Badlands, most people know, but that one, whenever he plays it, which is almost every show, there's a sea change in the audience. I mean, he sometimes will go from a rocker to that one and keep mm-hmm. it going. But it's palpable. I mean, Badlands is just such a great live song. Mm-hmm. Just the lyrics and the way he plays it, and he loves it. And he's got some strong guitar playing. That one drives the crowd crazy. Mm-hmm. 10th Avenue Freeze Out from the Born to Run album is one of my favorites because that has a really strong buildup. Mm-hmm. And in concert, mm-hmm. he'll often like milk that and play it much longer, and he'll like jump on the piano. 
get the crowd going. That's a great, great live song. And that one yeah. also is where he traditionally does the intros to the band. Mm-hmm. And where for the last tour, he would pause on Clarence and show images of Clarence who died oh, a few years yeah, ago. Oh, he passed away. And um, you would just see the images of Clarence on the screen. So 10th Avenue is one of those songs as well. Now, is Jake Clemens, is he the replacement for Clarence? Yeah, he's the nephew of, of, uh, of, of the big man. Mm-hmm. Um, Sound and Sessions great guest, job. by the way. We, uh, we interviewed him when, right? when he came to uh, City Winery a few years oh, ago. Oh, wow, yeah. He's a great artist on his own right. But yeah, does a great job with the sax. And, you know, very big personality, just mm-hmm. like... Clarence. Clarence, as much as anything, filled the role of sidekick, and, you know, uh, they played off against each other really well. So Jake does a great job. Yeah. All right. He does say, I'm going down a lot. Down, 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 yeah. down. <laughs> Let me turn the Not volume. about Let the me going turn the down volume. that, that Heidemann <laughs> is thinking of. Get your head out of the gutter. Now, Not you're talking a song about jobs. Can we say that on the show? <laughs> you know, you can say whatever you want. Right. I'm pretty sure this is going to go down as one of our most dirty episodes. <laughs> All right. So but you know what? That's he's what not we're here thinking for. about Hummers. <laughs> We don't think. Maybe he is. <laughs> Maybe he is. Well, because the next song is Glory Days. And yes. what what better fitting way <laughs> to finish a song than going down than with a little bit of a Glory Days. So, so much about this song. I mean, there's so much to talk about. Um, the video, again, I don't want to digress into two dudes and a video, but uh-huh. this is the MTV era. I mean, the videos were such a huge part of the success of this album. Mm-hmm. And the Glory Days video is classic. So it starts off with Bruce... You know, pitching alone in a, you know, ballpark in, in That's New Jersey. Right. Yes. And I'm criticized for his form, not the best form I've ever seen for a pitcher as a baseball coach myself. <laughs> he did, though, play. He's an artist. He's not well, there to play baseball. He did play baseball. So this song is literally from a true to life incident. Bruce was walking out of a bar. Mm-hmm. His buddy, who played baseball with him in Little mm-hmm. League baseball, was walking in. They went back inside. We're talking about glory days. Yeah. Bruce played right field. Uh, for a few years was pretty successful but not the best pitcher uh, but yeah this video shows him pitching and then shows him um, with his son in the video he, d- he didn't have a son at the time and then ends off with uh, Julianne Phillips his wife has a cameo where she says come out to the car but yeah wow. another song about um, you know maybe a maybe a a sad situation where your best days are behind you. A lot of debate about the song, whether it is a positive or negative message. Are you mm-hmm. looking back at the glory days fondly or longingly? You know, are you regretting that the glory days have passed you by or are you remembering them fondly? Yeah. Either way, great rock song. Great rock song. Probably the first song that I've ever heard of Bruce Springsteen was Glory Days. Really? I remember my dad and my dad and I were big baseball players back in the day. Um, we would always, you know, throw the ball around and play catch and um, he uh, he showed me this song and he, he he'd explain. He's like, this is this is kind of like reminds me of, of growing up, like yeah. when I was when I was like living in Sheboygan, right? And he, it's just like a small town group of people who you know wanted to make it big, and then you know they just go back and just. There's something so bright about it. Yeah. That's I think that's oh. why it almost like induces the feeling of like glory days. Right, right. Another example of you know maybe a depressing topic, but saying in a way that's very. Uh, exciting filmed at an actual bar in Hoboken. Okay. Um, Steve Van Zandt came back for the video, even though he left the band at the time. Mm-hmm. Played the mandolin. Probably right in forgot the of his bandana or something like no, that. Was wearing the bandana. Yeah. And Patty appeared in this video for the first time ever as well. Wow, that's uh, you know a lot of these music videos are taking place in in bars. Um, I know that. Uh, what's the song we were just talking about? Born down in a Kingston bar. Oh, Hungry Heart. Hungry Heart. Hungry Heart is You threw me with Kingston Mines. I wasn't aware that he sang about the Lincoln Park reggae bar, but 
Apparently, Kingston Mines makes an appearance. <laughs> Another B-side of Springsteen. Yeah, yeah. He's known for that. I put a little edit mark in there. I'm going to decide later if I take this yeah, out or why keep not? it in. <laughs> um, but yeah, a lot of those uh, like take place in a bar when everyone is around and singing. And I think that's... He, he creates like a like an air of we're all together in this. Oh, sure. And I think that's why he has so many just the most amazing loyal fans. Well, the best Springsteen bar song. There's a bunch. Like there's literally a song called Seaside Bar Song. That's mm-hmm. amazing. That captures... But the best Springsteen bar song is Sherry Darling because it literally starts with people cheering. Mm. He called it um, um, Fraternity Rock. There's a whole like subgroup of 50s music that was like Fraternity Rock. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Sherry Darling is a tribute to that. But great, great fun bar song. Sherry Darling. Oh, yeah. Well, Off this, the River album. Next, this next song, I mean, a lot of people say that this is the best uh, song that Bruce Springsteen has ever put out. Obviously, one of the most famous music videos of all time has Courtney Cox in it. Are we going to do that? Are we going to do that? We should. We... The Springsteen dance? The Courtney Cox dance? Oh, <laughs> uh, You know, a little folklore behind that. That's how that. I learned how to dance, but, by the way. Was it? From just this video, it over of course. Again? Yeah. Is Courtney Cox and Bruce just dancing? Yes, in, absolutely. In the... <laughs> Here it is. Dancing in the Dark. Now, I heard that this is where Carlton came up with the Carlton dance. Yeah. It was a little bit of this. It's a little Carlton. Uh, <laughs> it's a little typical white man bite the, bite the lip dance. But it is. very beloved song, also very reviled song. I mean, a lot mm-hmm. of True Springsteen fans, fans didn't like it because it was too poppy. It is In really fact, poppy. it was the last song written because John Landau, his manager, said, you need a hit single. Mm-hmm. Hey, kid, you need a hit single, you yeah. know? And uh, he wrote this in a matter of, I think it was an hour. And really? ended up being the biggest uh, hit of the album. Also reviled by many because he turned it into a uh, a dance song. There's a version out there with uh, hmm. dance backbeat to it, and he turned it over to, to a guy who was famous for making a Cindy Lauper a version of Cindy Lauper song um, into a dance song. So this became a dance song as well. Jeez. This one and cover me. Yeah, great song. Also depressing topic. I mean, a guy who. You know, is living in a dump, basically, mm-hmm. is what he says. Uh, going nowhere. It's a song really about writer's block. Oh, okay. You know, ha- struggling, he says, trying to write this book. Wants, wants to change his hair, his look, his face. Huh. Yeah, I've never really listened to the lyrics, to be honest. I just yeah. thought it was about dancing in the dark. Like, just being a dude who just dances alone in his bedroom. Well, they actually wanted to <laughs> film the video originally against a dark backdrop. He had hired a director to do that. Mm-hmm. Bruce walked out of the shoot, didn't like the way the video was going. They hired Brian De Palma to come in and film the existing video, which is a very, you know, very light, very bright, actually uh, filmed at a concert that they gave in Minnesota. Wow. Um, he ended up later realizing that the original director's vision was right mm-hmm. and hired him to do the uh, Human Touch video. But can't argue with Brian De Palma coming off Scarface. So Brian De Palma creates Scarface and then comes back and does Dancing in the Dark. Like this was after. That was a year later. After that's you know, incredible. Yeah, because he, he you wouldn't think that he would write a, a make a pop music video, right? After yeah. making one again, of the most. you know, Bruce would attract uh, these really overqualified directors to direct his videos. Man, you could tell it's it's good that he has that. Um, that that team around him yeah. to create this kind of you know vibe because I feel like with these songs who knows what would happen. Yeah, <laughs> and like again a... the videos were such a big part of you know this whole era. This was the MTV era, and you know these videos were just on replay all the time. I mean you couldn't turn on the TV without seeing 
you know, every breath you take, purple yeah. rain, like a On virgin. Mm-hmm. It was, it was, it was a pretty amazing era. You would, you know, Captain you, Lou Albano with uh, Captain Cindy Lou Lopper. and the Cindy Lauper video, mm-hmm. of course. I feel you. All right, you ready to dive into the last song? Let's do it. All right, here we go. The last song on the album, My Hometown. Very somber song, very uh, heartfelt song, writing about the difficult times that Freehold, New Jersey, and the rest of New Jersey were having at this time. I could just, Weinsberg is pissed that he has to play the, the bells <laughs> the entire time. He's like, I want to kick in a solo here. Yeah, well, interesting. I mean, to that point, you know, it's not a great album for some of the musicians. Like Clarence doesn't have a lot to do on this album. Mm-hmm. It's not the traditional heavy sax that he was used to in some earlier albums. A lot of cowbell by Clarence on this album. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this song Just again. Track great, after track. Great story of, you know, how the town was originally in good shape. And then he's driving around his hometown and he sees factories closed and stores boarded up. What Bruce Springsteen does also have, I, I almost forgot about this, one of the saddest songs of all time with the streets of Philadelphia, I think. Yeah, written for movie Philadelphia. And, it, and he just, you know, got kind of almost in the same vibe as this My Hometown. Yeah, the protagonist in that song is a HIV-positive person mm-hmm. who's walking around and presumably is on, you know, maybe doesn't have a lot left to live. Of yeah. course, back then... You, you know, we don't know what we didn't know what we know now about HIV, but you know, HIV was basically a death sentence when that song came out in '95. Yeah. Um, but yeah, very much in the same vein as this song. Well, you know what? One thing that I've learned from listening to you speak about this album and figuring out more about Bruce Springsteen is that he is a true artist. He's a great writer. And for a, the longest time, I thought it was just, I'm sitting in a bar. And then he's like, you see him penning down. And he's like, sitting in bar, Car, working in cars, factory. Factories, cars girls. go fast. Girls, uh, and then it's just like just scribbling through that. But now I see that it's a lot more, um, you know, soaked in life of a really sad guy who you know just tried to make it big, and and he was able to do it just through hard work and writing songs. Yeah, and you know, covers so much of the American experience. I mean, songs like Seeds and This Hard Land. I mean, they really tell the story of how America has evolved. Mm-hmm. And you know, again, his songs are as relevant today. I mean, he's been very vocal against. Trump, uh, No Retreat, No Surrender, or No Surrender was the theme song to John Kerry when he ran mm-hmm. um, against Bush. So, yeah, I mean, he only became political, I think, later in life. Uh, but I think it all started here when Reagan tried to misappropriate uh, mm-hmm. Born in the USA. It's cool that he took his art on his on his own back and just, you know, said, no, this is what the song is really about. Because then I think that after that, there's a huge wave of being like, no, 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 this song is actually about this. Right. Or, you know, this you're, you're seeing everything wrong. And a lot of artists kind of spoke up a little bit more than what you were seeing before. Because I think um, the only band that was like, no, no, it's about no rain is uh, Millie Vanilli. Right. Yeah, they were the only ones that were like, yeah, it's a, you got it right. From, and didn't from sell out. Bruce was offered didn't famously. Didn't start out. Yeah. Twelve million dollars by Chevy to use "Born in the USA" for to sell trucks. He said no. They ended up using a Kenny Rogers song. Um, <laughs> like but, you know, a rock. <laughs> no, that would be uh, Seeger. That was Seeger. Okay, this. <laughs> but Seeger's a great example. He did do pretty well with that song. Man. But yeah, Bruce was uh, offered and declined lots of money for for these songs. Have you seen the the Broadway show? I have. I saw it um, when it first started a few months in. Man. 
Pretty amazing, yeah. Well, okay, so before we close out here, because we're about to get to the end of the uh, the song of, and, and the episode two, uh, why did you choose Born to Run as opposed to, uh, I'm sorry, why did you choose Born in the USA as opposed to Born to the Run or um, any of the album other albums that he picked? Yeah, good question. I uh, It's not my favorite album that Bruce has put out. I really love The River. It's probably my favorite album. It came mm-hmm. out in 1980. Uh, was the one cassette I brought with me when I backpacked through Europe. In 1990, in college, I brought I brought one cassette only. This was back in the day where you actually had to carry cassettes. Yeah, it was the wow. one the only one I brought. So I listened to it all summer. Um, that might be my favorite, but I picked Born in the USA because I really thought there's so much context to it. It's so rich, both in the music and the lyrics, and also it really tells the story of that era. It's really a moment in time. You can't look at born in the USA visually and just not remember where you were if you're of a certain age mm-hmm. and it just you know captures a moment in time and also it really launches the beginning of Springsteen that we know today before that again big following doing well mm-hmm. but it was a different thing this catapulted him into like superstardom he was one of the biggest stars in the world and really started the uh, career that we know today so Love the album. Great time in my life to be a 14-year-old growing up and, and following music and, uh, you know, inspire the look I'm wearing today. Yeah, I know. And you, you, the thing is that no one else <laughs> probably knows, Rich wears this all the time. All the time. It's like he's not really a suit guy. He, like, no. he Cut to off court. flannel shirts all day. And red bandanas. <laughs> All right, well, let's get into it. Are you ready to rate this album on our scale? As everyone knows, the scale is the Avenged 7 scale. So it's 1 to 7. It, we, we kind of do it in, in a heart emoji so, so that we can get down with the kids, you know? Yeah. Because uh, that's what they're into is the emojis. So you're going to rate you it You can be lit, one. right? <laughs> you, it's super lit. Super lit. Hashtag woke. Springsteen. got to be woke. Are you woke? <laughs> I'm woke. Yeah. I'm woke. I'm half woke. Well, I woke up a few hours ago. Right, so that's I mean, woke. I'm awake, woke yeah. up. For sure. Um, but it's the Avenged Seven scale from one to seven. Four is the true neutral. Rich, what do you give Born in the USA? I'm going to give it a solid six. Six? I, I would give it a seven. I mean, I think it's really deserving of a seven, to be yeah. honest. It's one of the greatest albums of all time. <laughs> one of the greatest but albums of all time, but I'm going to just, you know. Just to be you know fair and to rate it against other Springsteen albums. Okay, that's a good point. It's a six, because there's a couple of weak points. There's a couple of things that I think Bruce would do differently. Mm-hmm. But in the grander scale of all albums, come on, it's a seven all yeah. day. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's, I mean, that's a very fail, fair assessment. So this is, so my thoughts are, for Born in the USA, it's an amazing album. I it, I mean, seven singles from one album. The the look is iconic. The man, it's just, as you mentioned, skyrocketed into uh, into ultimate fame. Um, from all, in hindsight, after all the things he's done, and all and the person he's become, like, through these albums, y- you know... You can't deny it. It's it's an amazing album. But for that reason, I'm gonna, I'm, give, I'm gonna have a Weinberg build up to that. <laughs> Do the splash sound. Okay. <laughs> and Clarence Cowbell. Um, I'm gonna give it five and a half. Ooh. Five and a half. Tough critic, I don't know. I'm gonna give it a tough critic. Yeah, I'm, well, I'm 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 looking at it in the same perspective, I guess you are. Well, you're the biggest Bruce Springsteen of all fan of Bias. all time. Bias. And you give it a six. <laughs> I give it one. You're less. only half off. <laughs> Oh, man, that was a great episode, though. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks. See you down the road. See you further on up the road. All right, Bruce. uh, One, two, three, (laughs) oh. Where can we find you and and all your uh, your show and everything? Legal Faceoff. Check out Legal Faceoff right here on WGN. We're entering into our sixth year. Wow. Co-host Tina Martini covering all your legal topics. Listen to me, of course, on regular... Uh, WGN on the Bill and Wendy show Mm -hmm. and on Roe and lots of different shows. And, uh, yeah. 
And See you down the road. Find him at the next Springsteen show Absolutely. here. That's for sure. All right. Well, this was a great episode of Two Guys, One Disc. I have Rich Lenkoff here. We will see you next week. Let's take it out with a little Dancing in the Dark. How about that? Messages keep getting clearer. Radio's on and-